good news you've been invited no matter what others may say your darkest sins will be forgiven and you will always have a place at the table of grace the cup's never empty, the plate's always full, and it's never too late to come and be filled with love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. So come, you eat. And heavy hearted Don't try to hide Your earthly scars In his eyes We all are equal Don't be afraid Come as you are At the table of grace The cup's never empty it's always full, and it's never too late to come and be filled with love never ending. Well, you're always welcome at the table of grace. So let the first become the last. Let the poor put kings to shame Their willing hearts will be their treasure By the power of Jesus' name At the table of grace The cup's never empty The plate's always full and it's never too late to come and be filled with love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. At the table of grace, the cup's never empty. The plate's always full and it's never too late to come and be filled with love never ending you're always welcome at the table of grace well everyone's welcome at the table of grace man that was awesome wasn't it Wow, praise the Lord. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful song. Perfect song for today. Wow, man, thank you, Blake. Thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, Kent, what a beautiful, beautiful song. Man, I just, I'd like to have a copy of that. Uh, that such truth. Uh, uh, the, uh, you're always welcome uh, to God's grace. Uh, 
He, he gives it to us freely. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, my name's Nick Sandifer. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'm going to be uh, with you for a while. Uh, a couple Sundays between now and the end of the year, I had other commitments. But other than that, I'll be here Sunday mornings uh, sharing with you. And I'll be here in the Thrive service on Sunday night sharing as well. Um, I told you the first week I was here a little bit about my wife and my kids. And so we won't repeat that today. We'll say that probably for next week. Uh, <laughs> told you about... Uh, uh, my ministry experience last week and trying to let you in a little bit into my world, but I, I thought I'd each week try to share with you just a little bit so you can get to know the guy who's uh, sharing the word with you each week. I am a sports nut. I am. I hate to admit it. If they keep score, I watch it, period. It's the way life is. Uh, I'm very competitive soul. Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm going to tell you who I root for. Uh, the first one I think most of us here can agree. I'm a diehard Kentucky Wildcat fan. Yeah, all right. Go. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, re- really enjoy the Wildcats. Now, I'll be honest. At our last church, you know, we did allow Louisville fans in our church. They had a special section. It was in the restroom, but we allowed them to come. Um, the, uh, no, we had fun with that. Uh, now, it gets a little tougher from here on out because I'm going to be honest with you. You don't want somebody up here who lies to you. I, I, I grew up in western Kentucky, and on the radio in western Kentucky was the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm a big St. Louis Cardinal fan. I apologize to you. Uh, Yadier Molina is my favorite player, and so for those of you who are Reds fans, I know y'all hate him. But anyhow... Please don't hate me because of that. You can't help it. It is what it is. And then, because I was a child of the 70s, it gets worse. Wait. Because I was a child of the 70s, the NFL football team I liked was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Now, now, to be honest, when I started playing fantasy football with some of the guys from church a few years ago, I quit even watching football. You don't even watch the scores anymore. You just watch how your players doing. But I love sports, and uh, uh, a few... Uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you caught it, there was this major sporting event in the summer. It was, let's see if we have it here, Nathan's International Hot Dog Eating Contest. Now, I don't know how many of you keep up with this, but they keep score, so I watch it. And ESPN, ESPN covers this each year, right? You know, and now, it, I mean, it's kind of this tongue-in-cheek type of parody on a sporting event type of thing, but, but in the sport of hot dog eating, there's a term called HDB. You know, you know what a HDB is? A hot dog and bun. And in this competition, you're given 12 minutes to see how many HDBs you can shove down. Well, the all-star of this sport is Joey Chestnut. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Joey Chestnut. He won like 10 straight years of the International Hot Dog Eating Contest. Well, Chestnut uh, holds the world record. He ate 66 hot dogs and buns in 12 minutes. Now, for you mathematicians out there, that is one hot dog and bun every 10.9 seconds. Something in the sporting world amazing happened this summer, though. The upset of all upsets happened. Chestnut is three behind. Stoney, oh, Chestnut, 59, 56, 26 seconds remaining. And the world the champion was defeated by Joy Chestnut's on this side. By unbelievable. You should have been there. You should have watched it. It was worthy of prime time. Now, when you watch that, I want to know. What is your immediate reaction? What word comes amid? 
Gross, okay. Disgusting. What? Lying? Why? Yeah, stupid. Yeah, those words come to mind. Wasteful. My guess is your first word that pops into your mind when you see that is not communion. Okay? I have to admit, though, when I watched this a few years ago, I was watching this, and my mind immediately went to the church at Corinth that Paul talks about them eating communion. You see, they were... They were not taking communion in a way that was like ours, reverent and spiritual and quiet and meaningful. Instead, they, of this holy group of believers, they look like pigs at a feeding trough. Listen to what he says. When you guys are coming together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. And one person's hungry, and another person's getting drunk. Now, that's really hard for us to imagine such a situation in our context. You know, we, especially during communion. I mean, who's going to, when the plate's passed in a minute, shove down handfuls of these chalky crackers? Who's going to, so that somebody else doesn't get something? And, and then, I mean, how many of these little cups would it take to wash that stuff down? You know, we can't even envision this. So to understand this, you have to understand the context in which the first church took communion. Unlike us, they always had a big meal whenever they would take communion. They would celebrate a love feast. Everybody would come together, kind of a potluck. They would have this meal, and they would celebrate the love that they had for one another in Jesus. And then when the meal was done, they would remember, and they would take communion. Now, what was going on there is as the church started to grow, little houses weren't sufficient for a whole church, so only very rich people could host the church. They had big houses, they could have big meetings. Well, very rich people had servants who would take care of them. And not only did they have servants in their home who would attend these feasts, in Christ there was neither rich, uh, slave nor free. And so they saw the ground level in Christ, and so servants who worked at other places would need to come to this meal. The problem is servants worked extremely long hours. And in fact, they worked seven days a week. They didn't get a day off, history tells us, until Constantine in about 300 and something A.D. So, so you're talking a long time before they would ever get a single day off. And so I can imagine the first few times that they had this big meal together. You know, they're waiting on everybody, and they're thinking, you know, we really need to wait on the servants. We're all one in Christ. But after a while, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth time, they were starting to think, you know, guys, the chicken's getting cold. You know, we need to go ahead and eat, and those folks can get something that's left over when they get here. Well, you can imagine what this did to the church. And that's what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 17, he says, Now, in giving the following instruction, he's going to tell them about the Lord's Supper. He says, I don't praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. You're not helping the body of Christ. You're hurting the body of Christ. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church... There are divisions among you, and, and truthfully, I believe it. And there must be, indeed, uh, there must be factions because those that you're holding up as great Christians and great believers, man, they shouldn't be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it's really not to eat the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 21, For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others, and one person's hungry, and another person's getting drunk. And then in verse 22, he says, don't you have houses to drink in? Or, or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you for this? I don't praise you. 
So you've got this conflict going on in the church, and we're going to get to the middle verses here in a second. But skip down to verse 33, and you can see that he says, Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, you need to wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home. Look, if, if you're just coming to these big meals so that you can pig out at the rich people's homes, you know, maybe you should eat at home. And, and, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I'll give you instructions about that matter when I come. Now, there's no doubt that this context is talking about conflict in church. And if you've been in church at all, you know that churches can be the greatest place in the world or they can be the worst place in the world. Things where everything's a home run or things where everything's an oh my. You know, you, we've all been in situations where things are not good. Well, Corinth was one of those oh my churches. Everywhere you turn, every page, they've got a problem in the church of Corinth. And Paul's just addressing this, and that's what's going on in chapter 11. But in the middle of chapter 11 we find instructions about communion and some observations about communion. One of the things that I see about communion is there should be an us factor to this. It's a we event. It's not a, a, a me thing. It's an us thing. It, in the New Testament, catch this, communion was always taken together, never individually. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with the twelve. In Acts chapter 2, they broke bread together. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see a togetherness in taking the Lord's Supper. Communion was always intended to be corporate. We believe. We are family. We commit to love one another. We're sharing this together. But here's where it gets tricky. Because it's an us thing, not all the us's agree. Right? You put two people together, you're going to have a difference of opinion. And throughout history, we have not always agreed on how we should do communion. And that's where things get a little tricky. There's debate over what elements we should use. You know, can you use leavened bread? Should you use unleavened bread? Should you use wine? Or should you use juice when you take communion? There's been debate over who can serve. You know, should it just be men who serve, or can, can women serve as well? Should it be the deacons, or should it be lay people? Should it be a priest who serves? There's been debate over that. There's been debate over how often you take it. Should you take it weekly? Should you take it monthly? Should you just take it every now and then? And so churches have debated, and these, debated, these debates have gotten so hot that literally denominations have started over the Lord's Supper. And when I think about that, I think about how grieved the Lord must be when something that was supposed to be an us event has become a point of division. Yeah. Now, with that said, every church has traditions. And I want you to understand Burlington's traditions today. If you're here for the first, second, third time, you've been here as often as I have. But I'm going to try to you what I understand to be Burlington's traditions Okay, first of all, Burlington takes communion as an us event about four times a year. Now, every week, communion is provided here in our corporate worship. Um, wh why is that the case? Well, let me tell you, first of all, why we only take it four times a year or six times a year or 12 or periodically. We don't want it to become a meaningless ritual where we just do it at the end of the service and hurry up and get this done. I've got dinner plans. I've got a tea time. I've got an NFL game to watch. We don't want it to become something where people are saying, let's hurry up and get through this without thinking about what's going on. Um, 
But we all, I, I think the church, the reason that they do communion weekly is some of you grew up in traditions where it was a very important part of your weekly worship. And so, showing grace, I think the church decided to say, we want to make this available if, if this is a part of your regular worship and meaningful to you. That's, that's my understanding. But every now and then, it really needs to be a we event where everybody together is taking communion. Now, the deacons are going to serve today. If you're wondering who are these guys who are, are, are serving you today, they're the deacons that are elected by the church. The Bible does not say that deacons have to be the ones who serve. It just doesn't say that. You can't do biblical gymnastics and make it say it. But the reason that deacons serve, I believe, is these guys want you to know that that's their role to serve you. And so symbolically, when they're serving you the Lord's Supper, they're saying to you, hey, if you need me, you can call them. If you need an ear, I'll listen. If you need help, I'll try to help. We're here to serve. So I think that's why deacons serve in, in our churches. Um, also, you need to understand how we're going to take communion. Some churches come forward, some churches, you know, we're going to pass each element. So if you're new here, let me explain to you what's going to happen. We're going to pass each element in a few minutes. When everybody gets the elements, the deacons will then be served. I'll stand up in the front and I'll say, let's take it together. And we'll take the bread, then we'll pass out the juice, and we'll take the juice. Okay, that's how communion is typically done here. Now in verse 23, uh, Paul says, I received from the Lord. Paul says, I'm not making this stuff, stuff up. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when the Lord was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took the bread. And, and then verse 24 says, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So from that night when Jesus had first, the first communion with the disciples until today, Believers have been taking communion. I call it the Lord's Supper sometimes, so if you hear that, same thing in my vocabulary. Until today, people have continued to do this. Now, you need to understand something. We do not take communion to receive salvation. Salvation for Baptists comes when you trust Christ as your Savior. You repent of your sin and you believe. We believe salvation comes by, uh, by faith in God's grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. It's the gift of God. So we, we believe salvation is purely an act of faith. Uh, Baptists and other evangelicals don't believe communion is a sacrament or a vehicle through which grace rides. We believe that it is an ordinance, something God has ordained or commanded us to do. We think there are two ordinances there's baptism, which is a very individual time. Teddy was baptized. His wife and his daughter were watching him early in the early service. What a beautiful thing. He was baptized to proclaim his faith. Individual. He did it. His faith. Communion is an us thing that we do together. And, but these two things we call ordinances because Jesus has ordained them. Now that basically means that he said to do them. Uh, and, and I think we see this when he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Do this. Now, you want to know why I take communion? I'll tell you the number one reason I take communion. Because God said so. That's why I take communion. He said, do this. Now, don't you remember as a kid when your dad would say that? Why should I do this? Because I said so. I hated to hear that. I wanted an explanation. And you know why, dads, we don't give explanations? Because most of the time we don't have one. We just said so. <laughs> but God has an explanation. He says, do this in remembrance 
to remember me. You know, we're just prone to forget events that we don't intentionally remember. And the further we get from an event, the less vividly we remember it. And the older we get, it's harder to remember. And we've all been frustrated or embarrassed at times when our memory lapses. And this Friday night, my wife and I are a part of a Sunday school class. I've been like five times in 16 months because I'm preaching at other places. But we're members of a Sunday school class at Emmanuel. And they decided, hey, everybody needs to get to know each other. Our kids are all starting to kind of grow up and... You know, and we're, we said we need to, we, we started a dinner club. Here's the way a dinner club works. Six times a year you get this new group of people, and once a month you, one, you eat at their house, the next time they eat at your house. And there's either two couples, three couples, four couples, however it works. Well, we said, you know, we don't know anybody in Lexington. We need to do this. And so we signed up for the dinner club. And about three months ago they said, okay, we're going to start this out there. And and you've got, I think they gave us two to three months to pull off these first couple. And well, we got a phone call one day from this couple and says, hey, you're our dinner club people. And I said, great. And they said, we want to invite y'all over. We're going to grill chickens and sweet potatoes. It's going to be real. And it was, it sounded like a good time. And they said, when can you do it? And they're calling me like in June. And I said, well, I think I've got August 28th open. <laughs> and, and they said, wow, that's awesome. We do too. And so in like July, we planned August 28th. They sent an email to me telling us that we needed to be there. And I forgot to put it on my calendar. And I forgot to call my wife. And I didn't forward the email to her. So you know what happens. Friday night, we have absolutely nothing on our calendar. Our kids are gone. We're high-fiving each other that we've got life by ourselves. We were so excited, and we partied hard on Friday night. We went out to the grocery store on Friday night, and we're picking out stuff for the next week. Well, while we're at the grocery store, my daughter texts us and says, Nick, her dad, she calls me Nick when I'm in trouble. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Dad? Were y'all supposed to be somewhere tonight? Her friend, who is in Sunday school class with her, happened to be the daughter of this couple. We are already 30 minutes late. I immediately searched through my old emails. I'd even created a folder, dinner club. And I searched through those emails, and sure enough, we were late. I called, and I said, hey, man, I'm so sorry we are late. He said, oh, man, I'm still grilling. Come on over. Well, they're 30 minutes away from us, Lexington time, and we have milk and ice cream. And we're wearing, like, we've been working outside. We're wearing shorts and T-shirts, and I'm like, Oh, man, this is bad. So we run home. We're throwing stuff, putting away groceries. We get in the car and break a few laws. And we get there in about 32, 33 minutes. We apologize for the first 45 minutes of our meeting together. And it was so bad that he had to heat up the grilled chicken in the microwave. <laughs> That's how late we were. You ever forget stuff? Oh, by the way, if you're ever going to have me over, it might serve you well to give me a text the day of. All right? <laughs> Early. All right? Have you, ever, have you ever... Do you forget stuff? You know, the Lord knows we forget stuff, and that's why from the beginning of time, He's created memorials. Every Sunday, we have a memorial. Saturday, Sunday, we have a memorial. The Sabbath day, the day of rest, to remind us God created and He rested. Every 
year Jews celebrate Passover to remember what God did in taking them out of the Exodus. If you think about it, in the Old Testament you have all these festivals. They weren't just random parties because they liked to party. They were memorials to remember an act of God in history. Well, Jesus took off on this in the new church, and the night before he died, he instituted the Lord's Supper, communion. And have you ever thought about how ingenious a memorial this is? How many teachers do we have here in the room? Any teachers? Come on, I know a couple of you. I say, okay. All teachers know this. You remember more if more senses are engaged, right? That's just common knowledge, okay? Think about communion. When they pass it in a minute, you're going to be holding it. And you're looking at it. And then you'll put it in your mouth, and you'll taste it. And when you crunch down, you'll hear it. And then even when you grab the cup, you'll smell the juice. All, I mean, the Lord was pretty ingenious in this object lesson to help us remember what he did. See, that's what communion's for, to help us remember. In his wisdom, God created this meaningful Remembrance. Now, last week, I told a lot of y'all that I'm going to remember your names in the next four or five weeks. I have been studying your uh, last directory, but what I'm learning is there's a lot of people here who are not in it. You know? Uh, So here's what I want you to do. Now, I want everybody to participate. If you even halfway like me, I want you to participate. You know? Even those hiding in the sound booth back there. Everybody participate, all right? <laughs> On, you never talk bad about the sound booth, guys. They can mess you up bad. On the count of three, ready? I want you to do this. On the count of three, I want you to tell me your first and last name loud enough for me to hear, okay? One, two, three. All right, we'll have to do that again next week because I, I still got some learning. Now, I I want us to do something else. On the count of three, I want everybody who just participated to say the name Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. See how much different that is? When we're all about ourselves and we're thinking about ourselves, it's a cluttered mess. But when the church comes together in harmony, it, it puts all of our focus where it should be. On the Lord. Yeah, and I get it. It is so easy to get distracted because our lives are full and our minds are full, right? I mean, mine are. Um, and, and you know, you can't just shut your mind off when you come in here to worship. Those of us who get on stage are delusional. I don't know if you know this or not, but we think y'all hold, hang on every word we sing, say, that you're right there with every point. You know, I'm preaching. You're thinking, man, that was powerful. That was so good. That was that. We, we're delusional. We think that because I really know what goes on. You're sitting there and you're going, all right, yeah, all right, I'm ready. All right, that, yeah, that was good. Oh, man, I'm sleepy. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, pay attention. Man, that's a, that's a really good scripture. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, man, I, I got a busy day. Man, that's a, I, that, that was, okay, I, all right, I think I understand what he's saying. Man, he's got a really shiny head. You know, I think I need a haircut. You know, my grass needs mowing, too. (laughs) 
And, and oh, no, it's going to rain. And that's how our minds work. And it's not just the guy preaching. It's also with the people singing, too. You know, they're singing, and they're up here, and they're playing. And you're thinking, man, I really like this song. Man, that's got a good beat. And then you're starting to think, he's got a really shiny head. You know, <laughs> I need a haircut. You know, I mean, that's how, that's how it goes when we're... And then, you know, and it's not just the people on stage, either. You can be distracted by the people around you, too, you know. You know, oh, I've never seen them before. I think I saw them at Walmart the other day. Oh, man, I like the dress she's wearing. Oh, that's such a cute baby. He's got a really shiny head. You know, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's kind of the way our mind works whenever we're here. I know that. But when we're taking communion, it is my prayer that just for a few minutes together, we could all focus together and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for us. You know, think about what was happening at the church at Corinth. Their focus was all on them. And Paul said, Stop. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what you're doing is you're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're saying, we believe. I believe I need him. I believe he saved me. I believe there's hope in heaven. I believe that even if it rains, there will be a day when the sun will break through. I believe. That's what we're doing when we take this. And so for just a moment, could our focus be on him? The other day, my sister called me. I have two sisters. Uh, one is eight years older than me, and one is seven, so I am the baby, and I enjoyed it. But anyhow, my middle sister, who's seven years older than me, I love talking to her because she is so much like me. We see the world through the same lens, it seems like, and she's got the smart aleck gene, that sarcastic gene. And so I really like talking to her. And, but the only problem is that she has a tendency to call me at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Now, for any of you who know what preachers do on Sunday afternoon, they usually like to go eat, then sleep. It's just they're tired. They've kind of spent themselves. And my sister, she would call, and I'd get frustrated with her. But one Sunday she called. It hadn't been too long ago. She called, and I was really glad she called because I was awake. And when she got to talking, she was telling me about what happened at their church today. Remember I told you last week I went to this little country church, and church of about 40 people. Both of my sisters still go there to that church, Cash Creek Baptist Church in Henderson uh, County, Kentucky. Anyhow, uh, they, she calls and she was telling me that they were serving communion. Now, they do communion in a very reverent, somber, quiet way. So heads were bowed and eyes were kind of down and they pass the plate and everybody kind of passes. Well, my sister takes the bread and they take the bread together and then the cup comes. Well, when she opens her eyes, she sees that there is a bug in her little communion cup. And she said, Nick, I promise you, it was not an ant, it was not a fly, it was a roach-like bug in my communion cup. And she said, she did what I would have done. She starts giggling when she sees this. And here everybody's being quiet, and she's kind of trying to hold it in. My older sister, who's sitting next to her, starts giggling. And then my best friend from high school, who's sitting behind them, my sister shows what's going on. They start giggling as well. And so here they're trying to pull it together because it's really somber, it's really serious, it's really important. And so they finally pull it together. But I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall whenever the pastor said, now let's drink it together. And my oldest sister snorts out loud in the church <laughs> so loud that everybody could hear. Now, my, my middle sister who calls me, she says, Nick, I got a serious question. And I said, what's that? She said, should I have taken it or not? 
<laughs> well, that's a question a lot of you might have today as well. Should you take communion or should you not? Well, uh, f- first of all, I would say communion is a time for believers. If you have never publicly proclaimed your faith in Christ, I would either A, not take it, because you are saying you believe, or B, better option, I would come forward today and I would proclaim my faith in Jesus Christ. And here's how you can do that. In just a second, we're going to be singing a song. If you'll come forward, just say, I want to give Jesus my life. You can do that today. No reason you can't. And then after you do that, I encourage you to take communion with us at that time. We'd love for you to do that. But it comes through faith. So would you put your faith in Christ today? Some, some churches only allow members to take communion. Burlington believes that all people should be welcome to take communion who are believers. Uh, so they're going to pass the plate to every person, and you will have the opportunity to decide for yourself whether or not you take or not. Some people will, some people won't. We're not worried about what the person next to us does. We're, our heart's focused on Jesus today, okay? Um, I wouldn't be fair to you if I didn't finish the passage. You know, if you had your Bible open, I skipped several verses, and uh, I, the Bible gives warning. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I think Paul is talking about, when he talks about eating in an unworthy manner, he's definitely talking about the rich who weren't waiting for the poor, and they were acting like, hey, my belly is more important than my brother. And he said, that's, and then they were taking communion like they were living like saints. And he said, oh, wait a minute, that's not good. And he might have been talking about the poor who were saying, man, I need to go to the rich's home and stuff chicken legs in my sack so that I can take it home to other folks. And they were just worried about feeding their family and not about the community of faith. I definitely, he's thinking, you're acting like your faith in Jesus doesn't matter, and then you're taking communion. I think that principle applies to all of us. When we take communion, we should examine ourselves. He goes on to say in the next verse, in verse 28, he says, So a man should examine himself in this, in this way he should eat the bread and drink the cup. You examine yourself. Verse 29, he says, For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, without thinking about, I'm a part of the believing body of Jesus Christ, if you do this, you, if you just act like it's nothing, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And then he says, This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. I don't understand every part of that, but I think it's saying this, that God's judgment is harsh on people who live like hypocrites and who say, I'm so holy and really don't care. That's what I think is going on there. Verse 31, he says, If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. So my warning to you today is before you take of communion, evaluate yourself. Now I'm going to give you a rubric by which you can evaluate yourself. Number one, have you been loving God with all you have? Have you been sexually pure? Have you been honoring Him with your wealth? Have you been content with what He's given you? Have you been keeping His commandments? You should ask yourself that. Number two, have you been loving other people like you love yourself? Have you been patient with the people driving around you? Have you forgiven those who've wronged you? Have you helped those in need? Have you only spoken what is true of someone else and good about someone else? Now, that's that's the examination we're supposed to do before we take communion. Now, to be honest, if we answered those, all of us answered these questions honestly, we prepared way too much stuff. Right? 
So wait, wait a minute, preacher. You're telling me we ought to take this stuff, and now you're telling me we ought to examine ourselves, and I can't pass that standard. What, what are you telling me? Here's, here, here's what's supposed to happen when we take communion. We are confronted with the fact that not one of us is good enough to come before God on our own. We desperately need his grace, and the grace that saves us should be the grace that is changing us. And when that change is not happening quickly, we should be confessing to God, Oh God, I'm so sorry that I've not allowed your grace to affect every part of my life. And then you know what you do when you confess? You take and eat because it's for sinners. His grace is for you. I love this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. Never one time has he ever said, Nah, you confessed that yesterday. Nah, you've proven that you... you Never once does he turn us away. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's good news today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to have about two or three minutes for people to respond. If you've never given faith to Christ, I'd encourage you to come. If you want to come to the altar and just spend some time confessing, you can. You can confess where you are, but we're going to give time for you to come. Uh, And then after that time is over, we'll go into a time of communion, and then we'll close. Okay? So uh, let's pray, and we'll ask God to guide our time. God, thank you so much for your grace which is sufficient for us Lord in a moment I know we're going to sing about the solid rock and Lord that is the confession that nothing can wash away our sin except the blood of Jesus we confess we need you Lord Lord I stand here today recognizing that I don't deserve to take of the Lord's Supper I've been invited Thank you, Jesus, for inviting me in spite of my sin and my weakness. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone who needs to publicly declare their faith in you, I pray you'd give them the courage to do that today. And Lord, help your people be honest as they privately confess to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.